Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in your word in John 1, you tell us that no one has ever seen you, but your one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with you, the Father, has made him known. And so as we triumphantly welcome Jesus on this Palm Sunday, and as we encounter him in your word, we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to see Jesus clearly. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, This is my first ever pair of glasses. I got these when I was about eight years old, and uh, for some reason they still fit my head. Um... (laughs) Although my eyesight, I think, has got a bit worse since then, so I'm gonna no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep them on. Um, but I do remember um, my experience first putting these on and going for a walk. And it was it was this experience, literally, of going from like blindness to being able to see. Like I, I distinctly remember marveling at how detailed carpet is. Have you ever noticed how detailed carpet is? I just thought it was sort of a fuzzy fluff. And, and then suddenly it's all these little details and even grass. Like, oh, it's, it was amazing. Um, it's interesting, though, because my, my driver's license says that I, I have a condition on it saying that I need to wear glasses in order to drive. And I guess it makes sense. No one wants to be, um, you know, on the road with a, with a man who doesn't know how to see properly and is in behind the wheel of a car. I mean, there are certain dangers with, uh, with not being able to see properly because having correct vision is uh, really important. Um, but one of the difficult things about uh, not being able to see well, and particularly growing up with poor vision, is that I never knew what perfect vision looked like. You see, I, I just had my own experience, and that was normal for me. And it was only when I took an eye test that I actually knew that my vision needed correcting. Because you you can't see what you can't see until it's pointed out to you. And so it highlights the importance of having regular checkups. I got a message from OPSM the other day reminding me that it was time for my next checkup. I seem to get a lot of these. (laughs) And and, uh, and I I feel like perhaps if you're in my my shoes, if you've got uh, a condition or something, actually having these checkups is really important. But as debilitating as physical blindness can be, our passage here in John 9, it shows us that there's a far worse condition that we can find ourselves in, which is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Uh, we've, we've mentioned this each week as we've been working through this series, that, um, that John's purpose for including all these signs throughout here is so that we can see Jesus clearly. It's, it's so we can have our eyes spiritually open to him and we can put our faith and our trust in him. And in these chapters that are leading up to this point, uh, there's been a whole bunch of things going off. Jesus has performed many miracles and he's been doing lots of teaching and there's been this invitation for people to put their trust in him. And lots of people have. But at the same time, there's been a resistance growing. I mean, sure, the, the, the religious leaders of the time, I mean, they could certainly see Jesus, but they, they never saw him as their long-awaited Messiah. They saw him as a threat. 
a threat that they had to deal with. And by the end of chapter 8, just before this account here, they're even claiming that Jesus is not even a real Jew and that he's demon-possessed. You know, he is being controlled by the evil one. See, in in their mind, they've seen Jesus correctly, but Jesus knows the truth. Though these people can physically see Jesus, they haven't seen a thing. And similar to physical blindness, where you can't really know that you've, uh, you've got difficulties unless you take a test, being spiritually blind is hard to know unless you've had an opportunity to be tested for it. Uh, and so then this miraculous sign from Jesus is like our message saying, you're due for your next spiritual eye test. Jesus invites us into the optometrist office to sit down on the chair and see what we can see. And in this particular spiritual eye test, Jesus, he presents, himself, he presents us with a clear picture of who he is. And he invites us to, to look at the ways that different people have responded to him. And in doing that, we might find out a little bit about how clearly we see Jesus too. Now, you probably noticed as uh, Tony was reading this out, it's a long chapter. There's a lot of verses uh, compared to Heidi's uh, six verses of the, of the narrative. Like, this is 41 verses. It's huge. And well done, Tony. And the thing, if you've ever taken a, a detailed eye test, it's not quite as, uh, as quick as, you know, getting your temperature taken or, uh, or your blood pressure or even a rat test. It's more like a PCR. Um, it's, it, these things take time. Um, and so John has, John, all throughout his gospel, he's very deliberate about what he does, what he includes, what he doesn't include. And so the fact that this is so long, John is deliberately inviting us to give space and time to slow down. Let our eyes adjust to the light. And as we slow down, we see what we can really see. I wonder how well you can see Jesus. Maybe you can see him. Or maybe your sight of him is being blurred or being obstructed or blocked by something that's affecting your ability to see him clearly. I wonder if there are traces of spiritual blindness in us as well. In this chapter, John gives us uh, four signs or four uh, indicators of spiritual blindness. There are four indicators of spiritual blindness, and we're going to have a look through each of them. Uh, So the first indicator of spiritual blindness is distraction. Distraction. Uh, Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, Well, we see the disciples early on. um, They're walking along with Jesus, and it says that Jesus, he sees a man born blind. And the only thing in the whole chapter that we get that the disciples do is they then, they don't see this man in need. They don't have compassion on him. Instead, they just get distracted from this man's need and they attempt their own medical diagnosis of the situation. See, the disciples, they turn this man's suffering into a theological debate and they ask Jesus, well, so he's blind, so who sinned? 
Whose fault is this? Was it his own sin? Was it his parents? Last week, um, Heidi mentioned Job's friends. And if you've ever read through the book of Job, it's quite a long book, but, uh, but Job's friends, they have this same spiritual blindness. See, they see their friends suffering immensely. He's lost everything in his life. And while they do, you know, in wisdom, sit with him in silence initially, most of the book is them just arguing with him, saying, like, it's, they don't see his, his suffering, they don't have empathy, they just, they just try, they're trying to find a theological explanation for what's going on. And so they're like, well, God, well, God clearly doesn't like sinners and he's not nice to, to people who are sinners and he's good to those who obey his law. So clearly, Job, you're suffering because you must have, you must have done something wrong, you must have sinned against God, you must have done something. And so just stop telling us that you're innocent. Stop telling us that you're innocent. Just go to God and, and repent and, and everything will be fine and he can restore all this stuff. So in amongst this, they see their friend in immense suffering and yet they're distracted by their own um, ways of thinking through these things. They fail to understand. They fail to care. And this uh, getting distracted um, is something that often happens today with Christians too. I'm sure you've probably heard many people claiming that such and such is, you know, a result of something else uh, when they should actually just be focusing and caring. Um, A couple of years ago, you may recall that um, Israel Falal, the rugby player, he uh, became under fire again, this time for claiming that the bushfires were uh, a result of God's judgment on our country's changes to marriage and abortion laws. Uh, There's lots of um, articles about that at the time. And immediately in this passage, Jesus, he shuts down this kind of thinking. He's saying like, no, hold it for a second. Don't assume that this man's blindness is God's judgment for his sin or his parents. And Jesus does the same in Luke 13. Uh, in, uh, in Luke 13, there's this, um, he describes there's this tower in Siloam, the same place that this man gets healed, actually. Uh, and this tower, it collapsed, tragically killing 18 people. And Jesus brings this to the attention of the crowd. And he, and he, he says, those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam collapsed on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Like, do you think they're more deserving of this? Is this God's judgment on something? And he says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, in both of these cases, Jesus is saying, not so fast. Don't rush to falsely assume that someone's suffering or some atrocity that they're going through is somehow God's like judgment on them or for some other evil that they might have done. Don't get distracted from seeing the need. And to be clear, um, as, as Christians, the Bible tells us that we are to, we are to call out sin. Uh, so don't get me wrong, we are certainly to call out sin when we see it. Uh, And even more than that, uh, God takes human evil very seriously. Uh, So seriously, in fact, that he became a person and led himself to the cross to suffer uh, in order that his perfect justice may be met for all the evil in this world. God takes evil very seriously. And he has set aside a day when he will achieve his perfect justice. All the wrongs in the world will be righted and each of us will need to give an account 
personally to how we have um, been involved with that evil. God will do all things right in the end. But the thing is, for us here and now, living at this time in history, we, we're not shown the blueprints for how God works out his providence in the world in terms of, uh, of, of suffering in the everyday lives of people. Uh, and so Jesus, he warns us about getting distracted by trying to work it all out ourselves. We don't want to get distracted from seeing the actual need of people. I mean, it's a bit like a, a, if you've ever had a, an eye test yourself, it's a bit like arriving in the room and there's a whole bunch of really cool gadgets and gizmos that they use to help kind of work out what on earth is going on in your eyes. Uh, and one of the things, that, one of the main things that you look through is a thing called a phoropter, uh, which is that kind of giant robot-looking glasses thing with all the, the um, different knobs and lenses and things. They're quite chaotic. Um, but the thing is, imagine that you go into your test and you focus on working out how the machine works without actually looking through it. Like it's, it's kind of, it's, you're missing the whole point of having an eye test if you're just trying to get, distra- if you get distracted by trying to diagnose and work out how this all works. Jesus wants us to see these things and to look and see clearly at him. And I do feel that at, in this age of, of social media and just so much uh, internet, we can, we can know so much now about things that are happening in our world. And yet... At the same time, it's become easier and easier for us to see all these things and fail to be moved to compassion to do something about them. You know, we, uh, we uh, have a, a generation of, uh, they call them armchair activists, where people who are more interested in providing commentary uh, and critique and condemnation of others um, more than they are willing to actually uh, have compassion and care. I do wonder whether distraction is affecting your spiritual vision. I wonder if you're being distracted from seeing the needs and the ways that Jesus is able to minister to them. Or perhaps you're experiencing another sign of spiritual blindness, uh, which is cataracts. See, Jesus, he miraculously gives sight to this man Uh, in in quite an incredible way. And John says that he came home seeing. Can you imagine what that journey would have been like? Can you imagine his excitement? Like, I can see, I can see, I can see. Wow, that's what trees look like. That's what palm branches look like. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's the color of grass. That's the color of, actually, I don't think they had carpet then, but imagine they had carpet. That's what carpet looks like. And this is my house. Oh, and you guys, you must be all my neighbors. Hi, it's lovely to see you. In John 9, verse 8, his neighbours and all those who had formerly seen him blind, uh, seen him begging, said, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, but others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I I am the man. (laughs) See, given that this man had been blind from birth, it's kind of sad that the people who perhaps knew him the most, couldn't even recognise him. I mean, it, it's, uh, we can't really speculate too much uh, that, with the details that John doesn't give us, but it seems that these people, they would have been so focused on their own lives that they failed to see the work of God right before their eyes. 
See, their spiritual vision, it was obscured, as if they had like cataracts covering their eyes. And just like uh, as I spoke to someone at the 8 a.m. service who, who experienced cataracts and the, 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 um, the experience of having them removed, often you don't know that you've got them until they get removed. And so these people probably didn't even notice that they were being spiritually blind. Uh, and as, uh, as, as us as a church, we've been working our way through the, uh, this series on fighting hustle, ending hurry. Uh, I've personally been feeling convicted about how the all-pervasiveness of hurry and busyness in our culture, it's, it's making it hard for me to have a clear vision of Jesus. See, when our eyes are blocked by, by this layer of hustle and hurry, it means that when it comes time to see Jesus, when those opportunities arise, it's, it's always just fleeting. You know, like we, we find it, I find it hard to focus on Jesus. I skim over his word to us. It's like, okay, okay, yep, I'm done. All right, next thing. I'm like, it's, it's so bad. And I, I fail to see all of what God wants me to notice in his world. I wonder if that's you too. Are you feeling like you've got cataracts that are impairing your spiritual vision? Or perhaps you are experiencing a different kind of, uh, of spiritual blindness, and which is short-sightedness. Now, for those who are curious, um, I'm short-sighted. That's what my glasses are here to correct. Uh, and so what that means, uh, if you're not short-sighted, um, it means that I can, I can only see things that are about 20 centimetres ahead of me. So about there, beyond that, it starts to go blurry. Um, now, I do like to think that sometime, that, um, that God's gifted me with, the, uh, with uh, cinematic mode in my eyes. So, you know, like this is beautifully in focus and I've got a beautiful bokeh, probably about an F2.8 for those who are photographers. Um, you know, like it's, it's, it's quite nice. The trouble is... It's very hard to live life like that. Um, actually, it'd be much better to see the big picture, and that's something that I'm unable to do without help. Um, and so the Pharisees, that's what they've got going on too. You see, this formerly blind man, he was brought to, uh, he was brought to the Pharisees, but rather than rejoicing at the glory of God, the power of God in restoring sight, rather than seeing the big picture, they get all hung up on a technicality. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And they just can't seem to be able to focus on anything else. Like you look at it, as we went through the whole chapter, it just, like some of the Pharisees said, This man is Jesus. He's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But then others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And, they, and even as they turned to the blind man, and they said, like, what do you have to say about him? You know, he was the one that opened your eyes. And the man replied, well, he's a prophet. See, this, uh, this man, he was starting to get some insight into who Jesus actually was. But then rather than consider that this man might actually be onto something, they decide in their hearts that this healing was perhaps just a giant ruse. It was a big trick. And so they're like, well, you're not, you're not really blind. There must be some kind of joke on us or something. Uh, and so they can't see past their own biases, their own prejudices, to see God at work. As the saying goes, they can't see the forest for the trees. And their short-sightedness had made them spiritually blind. 
And if you read through the Gospels, um, Jesus um, frequently, he condemns these leaders for their blindness. Uh, In Matthew 23, I love this one, he says to the Pharisees, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, you're so focused on like a bug in your drink that you swallow a camel. Like, it's ridiculous. And the point is, it's supposed to be ridiculous. They're so short-sighted, they can only see one little thing, and they don't even notice that God is at work beyond that. And I wonder if there are ways in which we can be spiritually short-sighted too. I wonder if for years you've thought about Jesus in a particular way, and maybe you only think about him in a particular way. Maybe your brother or a friend or uh, something like that, and maybe you're unwilling or you're unable to expand your vision to see him for who he is in all of his glory. In Revelation, uh, when John uh, came face to face with Jesus, in that glory, it says he fell fell at his feet as though he was dead. I wonder if the glory of Jesus, like, literally levels you, or if you've put him in a little box. I wonder if a bad experience that you've had with a Christian has put you off Jesus altogether. Or maybe you've, you know enough about Jesus, maybe you've seen him, but you can't see your need for him. You know, I'm not a bad person. Why do I need this Jesus guy? Or maybe you're not short-sighted. Perhaps you've just simply closed your eyes. See, as the story goes on, the Pharisees, they bring uh, um, the man to to his parents. They they want to corroborate this story to make sure that this thing isn't just a big uh, hoax. And the parents, they're happy to confirm that, yes, this is our son, and yes, he was blind the last time we checked. Um, but But then they just back down. They back down. It says, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Uh, Ask him. He's of age. He can answer for himself. And to be honest, it's a pretty strange response from the parents, don't you think? Like, I mean, their son has been miraculously given sight after decades of being blind And then his parents, the best they can do is ignore him. You know, and John says um, in the coming verses that they deflected it back to the son, um, not because they didn't really know, but because they were afraid. They were afraid of the position that the religious leaders had, and they didn't want to have be involved in all this and actually have it kick them out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be negatively impacted by aligning themselves to something that might be happening. You know, the parents saw what happened and how it might affect them if they got involved and they just simply, they just closed their eyes. They wanted nothing to do with it. Um, as I was growing up, my parents showed me the, um, the TV show Hogan's Heroes. And uh, if you've ever watched it, um, there's this uh, character, Schultz, who whenever he comes across, he often stumbles upon this incredible, incredible elaborate thing that the prisoners are getting up to in, the, in this particular camp. 
And rather than do the right thing, his response is, I see nothing, I see nothing, I didn't even get up this morning, and then he walks away. I wonder if you have been closing your eyes too. You know, maybe you've, uh, you've heard enough about Jesus to be curious about him, but then you start thinking about, oh, how might this actually affect my life if I wholly devoted myself to this? Like you think about what are the, what are the things, like what, what, what would my friends think if I actually said that I was a Christian, if I admitted that to them? You know, what things or what people in my life might I have to walk away from? And it, and it all just seems like too much. And so we close our eyes. Maybe you stop coming to church and you just try and move on with life as if it never happened. I wonder if you know people who used to be here that might have happened as well. The sobering thing about this chapter is that there's only one man who responded to Jesus appropriately. And as Jesus rode into Jerusalem a couple of chapters later, the crowds, they gathered and they rejoiced triumphantly, praising this king, and John tells us that even at this point, the disciples didn't understand what was going on. So even those who've journeyed with Jesus were still blind. And so I wonder how you fared in your eye test. Are you experiencing any distraction, any cataracts, short-sightedness? Or maybe you just closed your eyes altogether. The reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we're no better than the people in this chapter. Like, in a sense, like this man, we are all born blind. Jesus told Nicodemus, the Pharisee, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one can see. See, without intervention from God, we cannot see anything. We are all blind from birth. And my question is, what are we going to do with that information? You know, you've been given the diagnosis. Are you going to just assume that, oh, actually, no, maybe the test is wrong. I can see, like the disciples, like the Pharisees, like the neighbours. Or maybe you're just going to kind of scrunch it up and disregard it, like the parents. Or do we feebly come before the great surgeon and ask to receive our sight? In verse 39, Jesus says, I have come into the world so that the blind will see. See, Jesus is our great eye surgeon. He has come to restore sight to the blind only Jesus can recreate in us the faculties that our sin has destroyed. And this sign in John 9 shows us that Jesus is the great eye surgeon who doesn't just restore physical sight to the blind. Jesus alone has the power to bring spiritual sight to anyone living in spiritual blindness. And so if we are feeling like 
we might be spiritually blind, what does it look like to come to Jesus and receive spiritual sight? Well, we get some clues in our passage. Uh, when Jesus first sees this blind man, uh, he, he says that this encounter happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And the phrase, the works of God, it's, uh, as I was looking into it, it's a bit like an interpretive key that can unlock what this all means. And what's remarkable is if we have a look across the entire New Testament, the phrase, the works of God, it only appears in two, two, two areas of the Bible. The first is here in our chapter, and the second is back a couple of chapters in John. Uh, in John 6, Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He'd miraculously fed them. And he said this, listen to this. Jesus said, or so that the crowd then, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one God has sent. And so then for Jesus to do the works of God in someone, it is for him to bring that person to saving faith, saving belief, saving trust in him. That is the work of God in people's lives. And so in John 9, Jesus encounters this blind man in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we see this very thing taking place as the chapter unfolds. This formerly blind man comes to truly see Jesus. From verse 38, Jesus heard that, that, um, that the religious leaders had thrown him out. And when he found this man, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And just like this man, Jesus wants to give you 2020 vision he came to give you sight by his spirit. He wants you to see him clearly, even deeper than you do now, even clearer than you do now. You see, Jesus, he came into the world so that you and I could see him and believe in him. Jesus, the son of God, he opens our eyes, he cuts off our cataracts, he reforms our deformed lenses, and he moves us from being distracted by things to seeing his compassion and love. And when we do, when we come to Jesus in our blindness, he promise, promises us the gift of his spirit who strengthens our vision of him and empowers us with confidence in his love. And sure, in this life, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we do only see a reflection as in a mirror. But for eternity, God promises that then we shall see him face to face in perfect 4K or 16K or wherever we're up to in the Ks at that time. Perfect vision face to face. Doesn't that sound fantastic? 
Isn't that something that you long for? And as I read through John 9, I'm, um, I, I do appreciate that this healed man, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't try and pretend that he knows more than he knows. Several times he's like, I don't know everything. And until he came to know Jesus, he didn't even know really who he was. He's seeing only a reflection of what's to come. Yet at the same time, I'm struck by this man's courage and his boldness as he fearlessly proclaims the truth, not only to his friends and family, but to the religious heavyweights of the time. He is willing to totally stake his future with Jesus. He even invites them, whether they want to become his disciples too. He's an evangelist. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but you, you guys need to know about this. Do you want to be his followers too? Such is the power of spiritual vision that Jesus can enable in us. I want to finish today by um, telling you about another man called John. I first noticed John as uh, he, and his, he and his dog were walking past our church. This is a number of years ago. Now, one day, uh, John, he uh, just happened to find his way into the doors of our church. I, uh, I suspect it was an accident uh, because, of course, uh, John was blind and he didn't really know exactly where he was going. And yet, just like maybe uh, Balaam's donkey in, in Numbers, um, God must have been speaking through his dog, Maya, and said, look, you, this is the way that I want John to go today. And so in he came. And, I mean, John, he wasn't much to look at, I'll be honest. He was, it looked like he had just a rough life. He, he, was, he was smelly, he was dirty. He, he and his dog would both call out loudly during the services. And often we were just wondering, like, what, what, what's this guy here for? But then every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, week by week, in would come John and his dog, and he would sit down. And he would listen to the sermon, he would listen to the songs, he would listen to the prayers and the Bible being read. And week by week, he would sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. And even as his terminal cancer started obliterating his physical body, as the time went on, even me as a, a young teenager at the time could see the spiritual healing that was taking place. Even as his body was dying, his sight of Jesus was growing stronger and stronger. And we rejoiced on that day when Jesus finally took him home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, so I pray for us. Thank you that, the, that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, uh, we pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened may be opened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us to. Open our eyes, Father, to see the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people. Open our eyes to get to, for us to see your incomparably great power for us who believe. Give us sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.